Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Hey, I, I was gonna, I'm going to tell you up front, um, uh, I don't know what it was like at the other campuses, but that worship sir, that we just did, that was, you just encouraged the band. They just did. I have nothing better. Way to go. I have nothing better to say than that. We should just go home before I ruin it. But um, hey, we are kicking off a, a, this series on worship. Um, I'm Jim, by the way. Uh, but uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Don uh, Smith, he, he reached out to me and he said, hey, would you be willing to come out and, and teach? And I, I, loved, I love hope. I love, I love this church. I was here about a year and a half ago and I felt so welcome. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm supposed to be on vacation, but my wife will understand. Thank you, Don. And, right, and, then, and then he goes, well, the reason I'm asking you is we're doing this series on worship. And uh, do you remember about, I think it was like 14 years ago, that talk you gave at a youth conference uh, where you tracked through the history of the Bible and talked about how people have a bunch of babies and they worship and then they have more babies and they worship. And it goes, do you remember that? And I was like, yeah, they never asked me back to that conference. <laughs> but um, I have a track record of that, by the way. But anyway, I'm like, yeah. He says, can you teach that one? And I knew exactly which one he was talking about. I love what y'all are going to be studying over the next month in here. I love to teach on worship. I love talking about the history of worship. What's the point of worship? What happens when worship goes wrong? What happens when we, when we get, it, get it right? What worship is and what worship isn't. So let's just get a definition out there really, really quick. Um, worship, if you're taking notes, and uh, I don't have this on the screen, but worship is simply a statement of assigning worth to something. I think you're worth that much. That's, that's how you worship something. I think you're worth that much and then I will respond accordingly. And you can worship all kinds of stuff, right? By, by how you respond to it. We're gonna get to that here in a few minutes. And here's the other thing. Every time that I think I have worship figured out or like maybe I come into a building like this and somebody stands on stage and goes, hey, today or this month, we're gonna be talking about worship and something, something in my back, back of my head when I hear someone say something like that, we're gonna talk about that. I think to myself, yeah, I know all about that. I'm a church person. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm really good at worship. I know everything there is to know about worship. And then God does something. You realize, I don't know anything about it. Anybody have those moments? Like I thought I knew. And then I'll give you an example of that. Like I love going overseas and doing like, like, uh, like mission trips. And, and I love immersing myself in other cultures and, and other languages. And I literally love worshiping in other languages, even though I can just go, because I don't know any, I barely know English. And, uh, and so I'm out there. So a few years ago, I took about 30 kids and we went to Africa. We went to Kenya and we lived with the Maasai for a month. And it was amazing. And I had, you know, our, we practiced, we had our guitars and stuff like that. And so we had all the Maasai come to the village one night. And they came up and they said, well, we'd like to lead you in worship. And they're like, oh, 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 which is okay. And, and, so, and so we started like, Lord, I lift your name on high. We were, we were good. Three-part harmony. It was so good in a semicircle. And, and we were singing this. And it was really, really good. It had motions and everything. And it was, it was just great. And the Maasai like, mm, 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 mm. And then I, then I thought, well, maybe we should give them a turn. Right? And so I said, would, would you guys like to, to lead us in worship? And they were like, oh, thank you, Mr. Pastor Jim. All right, so anyway, so this is what happened. So there's these monsters, they're about this tall and they're about this wide. They're beautiful people. They have blankets on, they have beads everywhere. All right, and so these four guys and then about 10 women, they get up there and the men start doing this. I, I, I'm a white guy from Indiana. I can't make this noise. And they start beating their chest and they start making, the whole room starts rumbling. And then they start jumping up in the air like, like 
the ceiling jumping. And then they start singing this song and they're in love with Jesus. And I can't understand a word, but I'm in the presence of God. Every once in a while when I think I have God all figured out and here's where I drift, all right? Because the way I was raised or where I was raised, right? he's this old white guy in a, in a, in a castle in the sky, right? Uh, and he's very old, but he says really wise, good things, all right? But that's, that's what I think of with God until I step into another culture and then my God box blows up and God is so much bigger. Uh, uh, last year, one of my best friends lives in Mexico City. I love, I, I was down there at a really, really hard time in my life. And I'm sitting on the back row and they start singing uh, this song in Spanish. And I don't know what it is, but I'm destroyed. Because they're singing about the Jesus I love. I don't speak Spanish. Piquito, I, none, all right, none, all right. Uh, I, I barely order it, talk about, I'm bad, all right. So, but, but God gets so, so much, much bigger. He's not the God that we put in our box and go, that's God. He's Lord God Almighty. And every once in a while, the universe splits open and you get a clear picture of him. Like you get to see, like you feel like there's moments. It's not all the time, but every once in a while, you'll get this moment, like I think I saw God like face to face. And when you have these moments, it changes you and your response is worship. You're living your whole, whole life. You're going through your whole day and you get a glimpse of God and you go, oh, there you are. And your response is worship. We're gonna talk about that. Like, like Jesus, one time Jesus was out, uh, his disciples were out in a boat, right? And the storm came, we all know this story. And Jesus came walking on the water. Then he got in the boat and calmed the storm and they were terrified. And it says, and they fell on the bottom of the boat and, and worshiped, right? Now, I don't think they, anybody got a guitar? You know, Lord, I lift your name. I don't think that's what they did in the boat, but something, they just being in the presence of Jesus and go, oh God, there you are. That's what you're like. I forgot the response was, what, what was worship. So here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to cover a huge chunk of the Old Testament, 428 pages in my Bible in 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, you're going to sit there and go, not only is he handsome, he's smart. But no, uh, but, uh, uh, but, but I'm going to go through this. And here's, I, I talk really, really fast. I spit too. I'm sorry down here, right? Um, I'm, I'm ADD. I'm on 72 milligrams of concert a day. It's not helping. But I, I have to talk really, really fast because I have to cover 423, eight pages of my Bible. All right. And so I'm going to track through the history of the Bible. And then I'll get to a point where we're going to open the Bible up. So if you, if you get lost in this going, what is he talking about? I barely know myself. So just hang in there. But we will get to a point where you'll go, oh, okay. Are you with me? So when I see you look at each other going, he's, he's, he is ADD. I know, I know, all right? So, so let's just, I'm gonna teach you the whole Bible really quick, okay? So, <laughs> you don't think I can do it, watch this. So what is this big fat book called the Bible about? And the answer is, it's the story of God and his people. And by the way, the story is a very bipolar roller coaster ride. I can say that, I have that at my house. All right, so anyway, so I mean, it's this. Is God is with, he wants to be with us and then something happens and then we go over here and then he comes and gets us and brings us back and it's good for a while and then we get a new idea about I want something different and we go over there and then he comes and gets us and he brings us back. It happens all the way through the Old Testament, happens all the way through the New Testament and by the way, it's happening in my life currently, all right? Oh, God and I are tight. Oh, shiny thing and I go, right? And I go over there and God goes, no, come on back, Jim, all right? So, so that's, that's the whole history of that, all right? So, so God created us. God created us, it says it right there. He just wanted to live with us, to be with us and us to live with him. That's the whole theme of the Bible. I just want us to be together. Like, like skip to the last two chapters of the Bible, right? We don't go somewhere else to live with God in a Disney castle called heaven. That's not how the book ends. 
Do you remember how it ends? Heaven descends to earth and God makes his dwelling with us. He wants to be with us here in a restored earth like it was meant to be in the beginning. That's the whole Bible, right? So God started, you know, his people were together. Like he started with Adam and Eve. It says that they, they walked and talked in the cool of the evening. How cool would that be? Like, like, it's not like I read a book about God. I saw a TV show about God. I saw the promise, whatever that movie is, right, right? No, no, they would, they would, they would like walk. How was your day? My day was really, really good. What did you do? Well, I, I did this over in the garden. And by the way, God, thanks for the naked lady. That was good, all right? So anyway, so it was very good. So much better than those animals. It was very good. And what was, what was very good is that they were, they were together. Adam and Eve were connected. There was no separation. There was intimacy. There was nothing hidden, Right? But then Adam and Eve thought they could run their lives without God. So they tried. And the wages of sin is death. But God made a promise that he would restore things in the future. It happens in the first two chapters of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible is him restoring us back into intimacy with him. So God covered their nakedness with the skin of an animal. That is the first death in the, in the, in the Bible. The death of an animal provides skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Because the wage of sin is it's death. It still is. But God's not done with them. God's not done with these people just because they sin. And so he blesses them. And so Adam and Eve, they start having babies and their babies have babies and their babies have babies and their babies have babies. And then those babies turn their back on God. So God decides to flood the world, but God's not done with them just because they turn their back on him. He did not turn his back on them. So God spares Noah and his family and they start having babies and they start having babies and they start having babies. There's a rainbow, there's babies everywhere, right? right? This goes on for a long time. And again, people turn their back on God, but God's not done with us just because we turn our back on him. That's the theme of the Bible. God finds this one man named Abram, and he says, I, I, I pick you. What, what did you, what did, what, what did I do? Nothing, I just, I and my sovereigns, I'm choosing you. I will make you, Abram, a great nation, and one of your descendants will save everyone. Your children will outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he believed God not because God made sense. God doesn't always make sense. God has a plan and I don't have it figured out. He didn't understand how. He just believed and that's called faith. Abram, you're gonna have children and your children are gonna have children and children. And Abram's looking in the mirror going, Lord, I'm 90. And look at Sarah. <laughs> She's 80, all right? And after a few years, they, they have a baby and the baby's name is Isaac, which in the Hebrew is, means laughter because Sarah cracked up when she heard that she was gonna have a baby. And I get it. Listen, I hope everything's still working when I'm 80. You know, and I, Robin, you know, I, I, same thing. But if I go to Robin and go, hey, babe, we're going to have a baby, she wouldn't have laughed. She'd have vomited. Probably like, no way, old man. Anyway, but, but anyway, so anyway, God does it. And they have, Isaac grows up and God blesses him and he starts having babies, very, very two at a time. Like, and one of the, the most famous ones are Jacob and Esau. And Esau's a jerk and actually tries to kill his brother in the womb. That's a mystery. Anyway, but anyway, later God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel, he starts having babies. He's very, very fertile. He's an old guy and he's a bad father, but he has 12 sons. He has 12 sons and he's not a good father because he picks out a favorite. And the favorite one's name is, you remember? Joseph, and he gives him special presents. And the other 11 are like, well, what about us? They're like, nah, it's Joseph. And so Joseph, he's an arrogant teenager. So he's at dinner one night. He goes, hey, ding, 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 can I have your attention in the middle of dinner? Hey, by the way, I had a dream and I, you're all gonna bow down to me and worship me. Could you pass the potatoes? And that doesn't go well, right? And the brothers get really, really mad at that. And so one day they, they beat him up and they throw him in a well to die. They take his coat that, that his dad had given him. They, they, they put blood all over it and they go home and say, hey, dad, Joseph got eaten by an animal. Now, don't, don't you feel better about your family now? 
I mean, my, fa- my family's dysfunctional. I mean, Thanksgiving is a zoo. Right? But at least, you know, nobody's killed any, that I know of, killed anybody and went, you know, they got eaten by a bear. Right? But now one of the brothers had planned on going back and, re- and rescuing Joseph, all right? But before he can do that, the other brothers sell Joseph to some slave traders on their way to Egypt. You know the story? Everybody with me still? You can keep on going. Joseph is purchased by a man named Potiphar, who is like Pharaoh's secretary of defense. God blesses Joseph, and eventually Joseph is put in charge of the entire estate. But Joseph is a really good-looking teenager, and Potiphar's cougar wife keeps making passes at Joseph. Can I say that? It's recorded, so I, I did, all right? So, and so she keeps making passes at Joseph. Come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. I know there's kids in the room. You can ask your mom what that means in the car on the way home, all right? Anyway, Joseph refuses because he loves God, and it's a great story. One day, she grabs his coat, and he slips out, and now he runs down the hallway naked, and she goes, he tried to molest me, all right? And he gets thrown in prison. So Joseph goes to prison for about 10, 15 years, and while he's in prison... I have to read this or we will be here all night, okay? So Joseph has a dream. Uh, he gives him the ability to interpret dreams. And after about 10 years of being in prison, Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. So a former cellmate of Joseph's remembers, hey, I know a guy. Back in prison, he interpreted my dream. And so Joseph comes in, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh puts him in charge of preparing the, the world for a famine, which comes seven years later. And, and Joseph's now in charge, but there's no food in the whole world except in Egypt. So one day Joseph's brothers show up to buy food, not knowing that their dead brother is in charge of Egypt. Awkward. That's an awkward moment right there. I would love to have been there. Like, payback's a bear. Anyway, so, all right, so. So, and do you know what I love about the story? Joseph messes with his brothers. He messes with his brothers. But then twice, because these guys ruined his life. Right? Have you, I, I've had that. I am face to face with the people that ruined my life. And you have a choice. I can pay you back. Or I can do the right thing. Anybody been in that place? Yeah, and Joseph says twice he had to leave the room and the palace could hear him crying in the other room. I bet. These guys jacked up my life. They, they threw me in a hole. And then he looks back at me and he goes, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now go get your families and come to Egypt and I'll take care of you because there's food here. So they go get their families and God blesses them and guess what happens? They start having babies and the babies have babies and the babies have babies and babies have babies. And it goes on, they have tons of babies and Joseph and Pharaoh both die. And then the Egyptians look around after a few years and realize that actually there's more Jewish people here than Egyptians, they're outnumbered. So they turn the Israelites into slaves and for the next 400 years, they're slaves. And then Pharaoh makes a law, kill all the baby boys under the age of two, except one mom hides her baby, his name is? Moses hides him in the reeds. He's found by the princess. He's raised in the palace. At 40 years old, he has a bad temper. He murders a guy. He escapes to the desert for another 40 years. He hides out as a shepherd. Then God speaks to him through a burning bush. He says, go back to Egypt. Let my people go because I want to live with them. There's the theme. I just want them to, be, I want to be their God and I want them to live with me and I will take them to a land. I promise. I promise land. So I promise I will take you to a place and that we can just be together. So Moses goes and Pharaoh says, you know, he let my people go. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, 10 times. And finally they leave Egypt and God tells Moses, I'm gonna keep my promise to Abraham. I will take you to a promised land and there we will just live, we'll just be together. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And it'll be like it was before. So they take off across the desert and they had a few bumps along the way. That's an understatement, but, but God was there. He wasn't somewhere, he was, he was there. Like during the day, there was a cloud that went before the, the nations. They walked through the day, the cloud. And at night, there was, there was a pillar of fire. There was no, I didn't, where's God? God feels a million miles. He's right there. 
where? Oh, 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 right? He was, he was right there. But God's, listen, when they were hungry, God would send food. When they were thirsty, God would send water. Moses goes up on a mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. And when he gets back, just after being in the presence of God, his face glowed. That freaked people out. It's the glowing man, run, right? They ran away. So he had to put a veil over his face. He, he, his face, his whole countenance changed just by being that close to God. But God's not done. He goes, no, this isn't good enough. I want to live with you, in the midst of you. So he instructed the entire book of Leviticus, I want you to build a special tent. The dimensions are like this. The tent, the tent had sections in it. And later, it would be the model for the temple to be built in Jerusalem. I was just there last month. The, the big mound is still there. The Muslims built something on top of it, but it's, that's where it was. And in the middle of that tent, there's a special room. It was called the Holy of Holies. And that's where, and God gave all these instructions in the book of Leviticus. I want you to place a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a special box. It was, it was a gold box. It, it, it was full of great stuff, like the Ten Commandments were in there. And Moses' staff that he threw on the ground and turned into a snake, it was in there. Some of the bread that they ate was in there. And the lid was solid gold. It had angels on top of it called seraphim. And, and, and it came with a bunch of rules, like how you move it, how you carry it. Don't put it on a cart. You had loops on it. You put a pole through it and you had to walk. Wherever they would walk, don't touch it. And when they, when, here's the thing, when they set up camp at night and set up the tabernacle tent, they put that box in there and then they back away and, and the cloud, the cloud would descend into that room. It's called the Shekinah glory. And, and God was like there. How cool would that be? Like, like when I walked in here the first time, it was like a tour of the building. I, I would, thank you, right, right? So they go, here's our kids' ministry. You know, that's great, that's great. Here's this, here's where we do this. Here's the fellow, here's where we do this. Right? What's in that room? Oh, that's where God is. Let's go in there. You'll die. <laughs> Later when they build a temple, right, the Holy of Holies, the priest was only allowed to go in there one day a week or one day a year. They would put a rope around his ankle in case he died. So they could, we're not going in there, right, right? God's in there. We're not going to tick him off, all right? So anyway, so anyway they, 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 they do that, right? So they, they get to the promised land, and the ark goes first in front of them. They come to the Jordan River. It's, I just learned this. I never learned this. I was in Israel last month, all right? Jesus was baptized on the same spot in the Jordan River that the Israelites crossed into the promised land. Did you know that? I didn't either, all right? But it's... it's this is, you're going to be so impressed. He's so smart. It's called recapitulation. So the first time the, the, the Israelites came out of slavery and into the promised land, they messed it up. We're going to look at that. Jesus comes from the same side of the river and says, this is how it's done. Isn't that beautiful? And so he brings that. So the ark goes across the Jordan River. That's not even in my notes. You're welcome. All right. The Jordan River, it stops flowing. All right. This happens several times. All right. And they walk across it on dry land. They pile up 12 big stones and say, don't forget this moment. They come just a few miles into the promised land. They come to Jericho. It's a huge city with big walls. They march around the city seven times with the ark in front of them. They blow trumpets and the walls fall down. They conquer everything. They're undefeated champions of, of the world. And when the land is finally theirs, they take that ark and they stick it in a barn in a little town called Shiloh and they forgot about it. They still talked about God. They went through the religious motions. They sacrificed stuff. They chanted stuff. They memorized things. But it sat in the barn for 400 years. That's what, 16, 20, I mean, that's a long time ago. Think about how the world changes, how we move on. Over 400 years, you just move on with life and there's that box over there. Well, after 400 years, all right, um, there, there's no miracles. There's no fire. There's no passion. Nobody's face glowed. It was just religion. 
It's going through the motions. I don't think it's this church, but anybody been to that church? Mm-hmm. Yes, you're like, mm-hmm, all right. After 400 years, though, the Jews go to fight a group of people called the Philistines, and they get their butts handed to them. 4,000 soldiers die. And they're like, hey, we're God's people. What happened? We're, he's supposed to be on our side. Then somebody goes, oh, there's a box somewhere. There's a box. Well, go get the box. It's our lucky charm. And they go and they take that box into battle and 35,000 of them die. And the box gets captured. Again, the ark symbolizes God's presence. We know God doesn't live in a box, but it symbolizes he is with us. It's his glory. It is not a good luck charm. Here's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 4 says this, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now, I know I'm, I'm taking that out of context, but I, I, what would happen if a prophet showed up here and says, God's not in this church anymore? God has left the building. God has left the marriage. God has left your parenting. God has left the glory of God. Is, he doesn't live here anymore, and you're on your own. Chapter 5 uh, for Samuel, the Philistines put the ark in the temple of their god, Dagon, and they close the door. And the next morning they go in and Dagon has fallen over and his head breaks off. It's great, all right? And then everybody in the town breaks out in tumors. And so they move to another city and the same thing happens there and there and there and there and there. And finally, they, they, send the, they send the ark back to the Israelites going, here, we're sorry. And they give them, they give them presents of gold tumors. I just think that's funny. Everybody, here. Anyway, so anyway, so anyway, I think it's funny. You guys obviously don't, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so they got their ark back, and and it, it, they were happy for about seven months, and then uh, they went back to religion, and they put it back in a farmhouse for twenty more years, and said, "We don't want a box. We don't want an invisible God in, in the in the sky. We don't want a king in the sky. We want a king like the other countries have a king." And God's like, "No, I want to be your God. I want to be your king. I want you to be my people. We'll stay tight. No, no." We want what the other people have. And so God said, all right. And Saul becomes king. And that went horrible. Um, every time he won a victory, he worshiped himself. He, made, he, he put up a big statue of himself. It's lied about a lot of stuff, kept the glory for himself. And so God says, you can't be king anymore. And David becomes king, the shepherd boy, the man after God's own heart. And David makes a pledge. Now we're gonna get into this, all right? Here's what David writes. Like as his first official act, Psalm 132. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord. And if you look at Lord there, you can't see it in there. Lord, when it's all caps, is not like king or master. It's almighty God. It's Yahweh. It's creator of the universe. I, till I find a place for Yahweh a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Before I go build my own palace, now that I'm king, before I, go to, before I do anything, I'm gonna take care of that box, the glory of God. Go get the glory of God and put it right here in the middle of us before we do anything else. Second Samuel chapter six. I'm gonna read a lot of this and give you some commentary and then we'll make some application. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. They're sending 30,000 people to go to that farmhouse. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord God Almighty, who is enthroned between the, the cherubim, the cherubim that are on the ark, the angels on the ark. Here we go. They set the ark of God on a what? Uh-oh. 
They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Abio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. That's very prestigious. With the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it, right? David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps and with lyres and tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor at Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which is Hebrew for God's really mad at Uzzah, I think. I don't know, right? And you know, I, I read it. I go, well, that's a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah was like, hey, I'm going to try to help it out, right? right? Here's, here's as it, I, this is unfolded. God makes the rules. And we meet God on God's terms. David said, I'm gonna do it, I know what God said, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it the way it makes sense to me. I'm gonna do it better than what God has said to do. God said, I'm God, you're not. That's what happened that day. I'm God, you're not. And David threw a tantrum. You're, I'm gonna put words in David's mouth. This is not the Bible, this is Jim, all right? In Jim world, right? God, I'm doing you a favor even being here. God, I'm doing you, I, I am helping you out. I'm gonna go get this, this, this look, look how, how good, I, and I'm gonna do it on my terms. And God's like, I don't need you. You need me. Just keep that in, right? So keep on going. That's not my notes either, that's, that's free. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. This is a tantrum, right? Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Hittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. I assume everybody got pregnant. That's what I'm just saying there, okay? So... <laughs> Now, because that's what it means in the Old Testament. Oh, blessing, babies. All right, so verse 12. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Eden and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went down and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Eden into the city of David with rejoicing. Oh, there's, there's perks. <laughs> I'll go get the Ark now, okay? Verse 13, this is so good. When those who were, what? Nah, we're supposed to carry it, not put it on a cart. Right, God's in charge. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That cracks me up. Because last time somebody had the, the ark, they just died. Right? So they're like, one, two, three, four, five, six. God, we good? Are we good? All right. Let's, anyway, that's just me. That's not in the Bible. But anyway, so. Uh, when those who had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, that's important, danced before the Lord with all his might while he and his entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, what's the city of David? Christmas. Where did David go? I mean, where? Bethlehem, thank you. You win. All right, so then they're gonna get to Bethlehem, all right? So uh, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, this is David's first wife, Daughter of Saul watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So they had a rough marriage. The way they got married is her dad, Saul, 
had given his daughter to David as a prize for killing Goliath. So it's a very romantic story, right? And she hated him. And anyway, and her dad was supposed to be king and he got fired and all that kind of stuff. So we'll come back to that in a minute. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. So David made a new tabernacle. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And for the record, I studied the Hebrew. Those are fertility foods. They are. I don't make this stuff up. All right. And all the people went home. <laughs> and uh, watch TV. I don't know. All right. Zim. First thing. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, and you got to put a lot of sarcasm in here, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, <laughs> this is so good, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let's go back to verse 14 real quick. David wearing a linen ephah danced before the Lord with all his might. This is priestly underwear. So he's out in the middle of the street. He takes off all of his robes. He takes off his crown and he's just wearing the underwear that only a priest wears. Now here, I did a word study on the word priest. The Hebrew for priest is bridge builder. All right? So the Greek and Hebrew words have pictures that go with them. A priest is a bridge builder. And what does a bridge do? It connects two unconnected things. It spans a gap, right? So David is our a, kind of a forerunner of, I'm gonna connect you to something you're not currently connected to. Intimacy with God, which is a foreshadowing of, of Christ. See, before this moment, for at least several hundred years, God was silent. And it was all about death. And the only way that you could be connected to God was the shedding of blood. You keep on sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing because you needed to know the weight and the wage of the price of sin. And now what David's doing in this moment right here, he's painting a picture of what is to come. And it's not gloom, it's the glory is back. The connection is back, the intimacy is back. He builds a new tent of worship and praise. He says, let's worship the Lord. And the people looked back at him and went, how? It's been 400 years. We don't even remember how to do this. We don't understand, right? We don't know how to worship this way. And so David began writing down what we now call the book of Psalms, which is, this is how we do it. So let's just run through a bunch of these, all right? And just see if it messes with you at all. So Psalm 47, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. So right here it says, okay, you wanna worship God? Clap your hands and shout. Apparently God likes that. He likes clapping. He's got a little redneck. Woohoo! And am I right, right? But have you ever noticed, uh, have you ever noticed, I don't know if you grew up in church. I'm third generation pastor. My son's, a pastor. we're in deep, all right? But have you ever noticed, at least in church world, terminology determines theology. 
Meaning this is that somebody comes up with some words that they think sound right and then we push them and apply them on God and say, well, this is what I think, so God must be like that or God likes that or God doesn't like that. The problem, sometimes I think God is going, I didn't say that. That's you, that's not me. Like I grew up in a church, right? My dad was, the, was, was a preacher, right, right? I grew up and I was told over and over, don't run in the Lord's house and be quiet in the Lord's house. And I grew up as a kid thinking God hates running and loud noises. Apparently that's not true. Apparently he really digs it. I grew up in, I grew up, I believe in this, that you dressed up to go to church as a sign of respect for God. But then if you actually read the Bible, every Bible story with Jesus says, none of that matters. As a matter of fact, don't let that be a litmus test. You know, where you, where you sit or what you wear, come as you are. Here's reality, all right, history lesson. Hundreds of, for hundreds of years, until just a few hundred years ago, nobody dressed up for church until the Queen of England started coming to church and people dressed up to impress the Queen. It had nothing to do with God. It was to impress other people. In David's day, that, and in the book of Acts, right, that, that going to temple, going to church was the biggest party in town. That's why David can write, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Every 70 years, everybody in the whole nation took a tenth of their income. They put it to Jerusalem. They put it in a pile. And you know what they did? They didn't feed the poor. They didn't go you know what they did? They blew it on one party and nobody could go home until it was all gone. Just, I don't know what the income in this place. Imagine if everybody in this room brought a tenth of their yearly income in here, put it on this stage and we're not going home till we eat it and drink it, all right? <laughs> we're just not going home. We're like, oh, this is gonna be a party, right? right? Nobody missed church. It was like, it was, it was, it was like, we can't wait to go in there. One is it's joy and my whole life is sadness. And it's intimacy. I feel like I'm all alone out there. But when I come into the house of the Lord, I, I get to see his face. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. That is you all, right? Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. 134, one, a song of ascent. Ascent is, again, I was just in Israel. Has anybody else been to Israel, to Jerusalem? Anybody? It's up on a big old hill. I didn't understand that when they say, let's go up to the house of the Lord, because you walk up 3,000 feet. I said, Whoa, the Lord better be worth this. All right, so anyway, so, and he is, all right? A song of ascent. So this is a song they sang as they were walking up the hill. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So in those two verses right there, we see this, is that, that God commands dancing and lifting our hands. And I wasn't raised like that. Mm -mm, all right, but apparently God likes it. But you know what? It makes sense because we raise our hands for all important things. And listen, I'm, I'm not gonna say if you don't raise your hands, you don't love Jesus, okay? But just listen, all right? All the important things in your life, you do this for. Like when you were a little tiny baby or when you were a mom or a dad or your babysitter, whatever, whatever that is, all right? And you walk in the door and that kid has not seen you all day or all week or all whatever that is. The first thing they do is, ah! And they run to you. They don't care about what you look like. They don't care about your sin. They don't care about your past. They don't care about anything. They just want to be with you. You just go, ah, pick me up, hold me, right? Or you go to your favorite concert, like, like, like okay, I'm gonna go to this concert. Like, I'm going to Chris Stapleton in a couple of weeks. I uh, can't wait. Anyway, so, so, I'm, I'm there. so here's what will happen, all right? The warm-up band will be like, go away, go away. We don't care about you. And then, then, then Chris will come out, he'll sing a song, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I paid a thousand dollars. Right, right, right. So because that's that song comes on, right? Or so I know you have some basketball teams around here. I'm from Kentucky, so uh, anyway, uh, so anyway, so 
So there's some energy there. But, but, but we've all, we've all, when we watch the final four, we watch, you know, you know, Coach K's last game or whatever that is. I had to bring that up, sorry. I, uh, whatever the, so we're watching, we're watching this area and, and it's like, oh, this is final seconds and it's tied up and it's going down and you're just like, and then your, your team's ball goes in, the, right? And what do you do? Mm, mm, mm. No. Now you're like, ah, you're hugging strangers. You're high-fiving people. You're like, ah, this is the best day of my whole life, all right? But, it's what, but in here, especially if you're, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, especially if you're old, <laughs> over 30, that's what I mean, okay? Because that's, uh, oh, listen, I got you by, <laughs> my kids are older than you, all right? So something happens though. That's why I love seeing so many students in here tonight. So many college students, high school students, middle school students, kids, already. you know what? You don't care. You're just like, let's just go for it, right? You don't care. You're, you're like, you have no filter. You're like this. But something happens when you get married or when you get, I don't, I don't know what it is. And you're like, I gotta be cool. I gotta be dignified. And you shut it, and you shut it all down. Do you know what the biggest obstacle, and I, I, again, this is not an accusation. I, I, I felt such a great worship presence earlier. So please don't like, you came in here, we worship our butts off and then you criticize us. I'm not doing that at all. I'm trying to, hey, let's just push it. Cause there's another level of exposure. There's another level of intimacy that is possible for us, but something a lot of times is standing in the way of it. What is that? Well, one of the biggest obstacles to worship in the early church and in the 21st century church, in my experience, is pride and vanity. Remember Michael, she, she chewed David out for humiliating himself, for not acting dignified. You're a king, act like it. That's not proper for you to be dancing in your underwear. What are people gonna think about you? He's like, I don't care. I'm not here for them. I, I'm, I'm connected to this God who has already given me so much grace and patience and he has no idea how much grace and patience is going to be demanded. But because he's holding on to him, with a, he's a man after God's own heart. It's like, I don't care what people think of me. I just, I'm, right now back at Flatirons, we're studying through the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. So Paul writes these two letters to Timothy. Timothy is a young, he's probably 30 years old at this point. He met Timothy when he was 15 years old. He mentored him for about 15 years. He sets up a church in a town called Ephesus and puts Timothy in charge of that church. And then he goes and he writes the second letter to Timothy from prison, which is a hole in the, under the basement of the Roman barracks in downtown Rome. We were there, all right? And anyway, and so he's writing letters to Timothy because Timothy's getting his butt handed to him by the people in that church because they're bringing... Ephesus is like the epicenter of culture and religion and philosophy. There's temples everywhere. It has a 25,000 person amphitheater. Paul taught there. It's, it's like, it's like, it's the crossroads of the world. If you came from north of the Mediterranean Sea, wanted to go to Africa or Asia, or right, you had to go through Ephesus. It was the only way, it was the crossroads of the world. Now all these people are starting to come to church, but what they do is when they come to church, they bring with them all their baggage, all their politics, all their philosophies, all their old church ways, or old temple ways, and they try to blend that in. And then when Timmy goes, no, 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 no. We're, we follow Jesus, not Artemis. We follow Jesus, not, you know, this way. And they, they're like, don't tell us, what. who's this young guy, all right? So the whole first and second letters are Paul just, first, first and second Timothy are Paul writing a letter going, don't quit, don't give up, and don't give in. And here's what's happening. He addresses it to two groups of people. He talks to the men and the women. And if you don't like this, then, then you need you need to email Jason, all right? So, all right, so. 
the men, the men are arguing very arrogantly about religion and politics. I know that never happens in church. They're arguing about this and that and this and that. Like, should we wear masks? What about gun laws? What about gender? What about this? What about that? What about race? What about, and, and they're just, and like, well, my side of the aisle believes this. Well, my side of the aisle believes this. And it, they're, they're at each other. Did I get all the issues? Did I hit them all? All right, all right. And they can't have church. I'm not gonna worship those people if they think like that. So that's the men, okay? The women are coming to church. They used to go to a different, right? The biggest temple in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis, which was a fertility, a hunting, a hunting and fertility temple. Animals and sex, that's what it was. And the way you worshiped at the temple of Artemis is you would, they had like hundreds and hundreds of temple prostitutes and you went to temple and you had sex with those temple prostitutes and that was worship. Nobody missed church. I went to three services. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, kids in the room. All right, so anyways, that. but here's what, right. But now the women are bringing this. That was my life a month ago. Now they're coming to church with a, hey, let's party, dressed like they were at the club last night and nobody can worship. Look at, look at her. These guys are fighting. And these girls look like a girl's gone wild video on row three over there, right? And nobody can worship because here's what's going on. Both groups in the church are saying, look at me, not God. Pay attention to my opinion and my, my advice, not God's. Look at, worship me. I'm more important than God. That's what gets in the way of worship in a church. And so he writes this, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. You know what this is a sign of? I am not in charge. And let's just be honest, fellas, all right, right? This is like, it's cool to the game. It's humble if you're saying, God runs the universe and I don't. And I surrender my need to control everything. Now I can worship because he's God and I'm not. It goes on and it says, hey, ladies, you need to dress more modestly. And it's not saying women shouldn't braid their hair or women shouldn't dress up nice or women shouldn't wear makeup. It's not saying that at all. It's saying, you know, like, you, like I'm gonna just call it out. I was a youth pastor for 22 years. Girls, you know, when you stand in the mirror, I know what I wanna accomplish. I wanna draw attention to God or me. He says, sort through that because you're worshiping the wrong thing. Does that make sense? He goes on, he says, uh, praise God in his sanctuary that we're in there right now. Praise him in his mighty heavens. That's out there. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Like do it over and over and over again. Here it is. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That covers everything. That's not a church service. That's work. That's school. That's yard work. That's neighbors. That's the softball game. That's this. It's a, everything. Has, it's all about praising the Lord. Why? He stationed the Levites, that's the, the priest, in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the, in the way prescribed, prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seers, and Nathan, the prophet. And here's why. why. This was commanded by the Lord. Worship is commanded by the Lord. When you look at that going, well, that's kind of egotistical. But it's the most loving thing you could ever do. You're running to everything and everyone with your problems. You're running to everything and everyone to fill that gap in your, worship me. It would be, 
It would be cruel and hateful for me to point you to anything or anyone else. I'm God. There's no beginning to me. There's no end. I speak the universe into existence, and I want you to be with me. And he commands it. Bang, things together. Jump up and down. Raise hands. Cheer. Shout. Sing new songs. Be quiet. Why would he tell David to change things up? Because it's a picture of what Jesus wants his church to look like. This is his idea, not mine. So I don't have an ending for this, so I'm going to make up an ending. <laughs> You're going, and I've got negative 13 minutes. So um, <laughs> I'm surprised that they just start playing like, mm, and a cane comes out, right? All right. Amos chapter 9 says this, in the last days, and I believe we're living in those last days, I will rebuild David's fallen tent of praise. In the last days, which the days leading up to the second coming of Jesus, his church will be worshiping and he will ride in on the praise of his, of his church. I can't wait. The first sermon you'll ever preach is your public confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, my Lord and Savior. And then you're baptized. That's your first sermon. That's your outward first expression of, I worship him. The rest of your life is your other sermon of your daily worship of Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 14 says that the church should be such a place that worships in such a way that when people that don't even believe in God, if they were to stumble in here because they lost a bed or they, whatever, they, whatever they, you finally bribed them enough. And some of you, maybe you're checking out church for the first time, all right? They don't have to understand what's going on but the response will be, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, he really is among you. So I have an example of that, and then I'm done, all right? So when I was a youth pastor living back in Louisville, um, it was Wednesday night, and I can't speak for all preachers, but Satan always attacks us right before we have to go preach. I don't know why. Anytime you have a big event, Satan's like, now, boom, all right, right? So it's Wednesday night. I'm going to go preach for several hundred high school kids, all right? And Rob and I decide that would be a good time to have a fight. And so we're going at it back. Well, you are right. Well, you are right. You are right, right, right. And so I'm like, fine. And I slam the door and I drive to church, right? And then when I got to church, I remember one more thing. So I called her. <laughs> and another thing. And then I hung up on her, okay? So not cool. Don't write that down, kids. All right, don't, all right? <laughs> so anyway, I'm up on stage. And I'm getting ready to lead worship, right? Because I was a worship leader and the youth, that's what we do, right, right? And I get about, uh, I get about three words out and my throat closes up. Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen? It's like, you didn't come in here emotional, you didn't come in here anyway, but you get like three words out and God goes, no, you're not, no. And it came, it came pretty obvious and I just sat up there and I, 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 I'm not this guy that stands on stage and cries, but I did. And I had a small group of high school boys, they all came up and laid their hands on me and, and I said, um, I'm not worthy to do this. In Bible scriptures, I'm a man of unclean lips. My heart is full of anger and bitterness. I, I, I don't deserve to be on this holy ground trying to lead you towards Jesus when I'm so disqualified. And so these basketball boys started praying for me, okay? And then it turned into open mic night and it just went on forever, all right? And uh, now that's not my point. My point was about three weeks later, we... we we just gave kids an opportunity to tell what God was doing in their life. And like three rough kids stood up and went, so my first night here was Jim's nervous breakdown night. That's what they called it. <laughs> and this is what they said. I didn't know what was going on, but I don't want to ever miss again. That's worship. It's compelling. You don't even have to understand God. 
If you just get a taste of him, your face will glow. If you just get a glimpse of him, your response will be just to get on your knees and go, well, Peter, my first response is go away from me. I'm a sinful person. I don't deserve to be in the same boat with you. And he'll come over and he'll pick you up, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will pick you up. I don't know what you come in here with every week. I bet it's heavy and it's hard. And everything wants to stomp your foot. And I'm the king of this. Stomp your foot and say, God, you're not a good God. You're not doing your job very well in my direction. And his response is, come here. To remember who I am. This is worship. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've promised. Now let's keep going. And your response is, then I'll worship you. And that, I already sense it in this church. What if it just went, went on steroids? <laughs> Legal ones. Uh, <laughs> what if it just took it up a notch and goes, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm this close to God. And this is in the way of that. And so before, as I sing this next song, the band's going to lead us in the right God, I need to confess that to you. And I, I'm going to ask you to remove it because I want one more step closer to you. And then one more step closer to you. And one more step. And then you're back in the Garden of Eden walking and talking in the cool of the day with nothing divine you. Is that what you want? Because that's what worship's all about. Remembering who he is. Remembering what he's done. Remembering what he promises to do. Let's stand up. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to worship in song. Then you're going to get up and you're going to worship in marriage. This is what I think of Jesus. And then you're going to worship in your parenting. And you're going to worship in your, your, your peer groups and with your friendships. You're going to worship with your boyfriend because you're going to put Jesus in the middle of your boyfriend or your girlfriend and go, this is what I think about Jesus. And so this is going to reflect that. It's an act of worship. You're going to go to your AA meeting this week every day because it's an act of worship. Right? Follow me? You're going to make a counseling appointment because it's an act of worship because this is in the way of me and Jesus being close and I don't want it in the way. And so my act of worship is I'm gonna get everything out of my way that's between me and God. Does that make sense? So God, we, um, in this moment, we just humble ourselves and say, you're God and we're not. You're almighty and we need you. What blows us away is that you want us. And like all those people in the Bible that turn their back on you, you have not turned your back on us. You keep pursuing us. Your goodness is this, keeps on coming after us. You embrace us. You pick us up. You wash us clean. You, you whisper in our ear, you're my beloved son, and I am still pleased with you. You are my daughter. You are my child. And, and, and we don't have words. And so every once in a while, somebody will write a psalm or a song or a prayer, and we say, we sing it along with the people on stage, but what we want to say to you, God, is that's what I wanted to say. I, that's, what, that's how I feel. That's what I need can we have that, the two of us together, what we're singing about right now? That is our prayer. That's my ask in worship. I love you. And that's why I worship you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.